0: Imagine, if you will, traveling to a foreign land, a strange land where only a few have journeyed. There we come upon the ruins of an ancient civilization, now forgotten. Outlines of half-buried stones suggest the foundation of a once majestic temple. Portions of huge, broken marble columns lay scattered about as if some giant force had destroyed them. Wandering among these ruins, imagine the life once lived here. Our mind's eye can see the temple as it once must have been, glistening in the sunlight. A rectangular structure, spacious, with intricately carved pediments. Its roof supported by the massive fluted columns, Beams of light from all angles penetrate the walls. Through the open doors, we can peer into the inner sanctuary. A figure moves gracefully before the altar, illuminating it by bringing fire to the clay oil lamps all around. Behold the priestess of the Temple of Venus, the Goddess of Love. She is the sacred prostitute. She is a mystery, concealed by veils. We see her only dimly. Yet in the flickering light we discern her shapely, feminine outline. A breeze lifts her veils to reveal her long, black tresses. Silver bracelets adorn her arms and ankles miniature crescents hang from her earlobes and lapis lazuli beads encircle her neck her perfume, with its musk-like aroma creates an aura which stimulates and enriches physical desire as the sacred prostitute moves through the open temple doors she begins to dance to the music of the flute tambourine and cymbals her gestures Her facial expressions and the movements of her supple body all speak to the welcoming of passion. There is no false modesty regarding her body. And as she dances, the contours of her feminine form are revealed under an almost transparent saffron robe. Her movements are graceful, as she is well aware of her beauty. She is full of love, and as she dances her passion grows in her ecstasy she forgets all restraint and gives herself to the deity and to the stranger imagine the sacred prostitute greeting the stranger a world-weary man who has come to the temple to worship the goddess of love no words are spoken her outstretched arms and the soft, warm expression of her radiant eyes and face say what needs to be said. In her private chambers, the sacred love room of the temple, filled with the fragrance of herbs and flowers, she bathes the stranger, offering him balm. She prepares a tray of fresh dates, nuts, and fruit which she lays before him, along with bread dipped in honey, The sacred prostitute and the stranger drink sweet wine from a single silver cup. She came to the temple, she tells him, in order to fulfill the law of the land. With reverence, she speaks to her devotion to the goddess as she approaches the small marble image of Venus. In the near darkness, alone in her rapture, she performs the ritual of lighting the perfumed oil lamp gently swaying and chanting softly in prayer of thanksgiving to the goddess. As the sacred prostitute turns back to the stranger, she removes her saffron robe and gestures him to stand before the image of Venus. He moves awkwardly at first, but deep within the stirring of his manhood gives impetus to strong strides. He kneels in honor before the goddess of passion and love and offers a prayer of supplication that she will receive his offering. The sacred prostitute leads the stranger to the couch prepared with white linens and aromatic myrtle leaves. She has rubbed sweet-smelling wild thyme on her thighs. Her faint smile and glistening eyes tell the stranger that she is full of desire for him. The gentle touch of her embrace sparks a fiery response he feels the quickening of his body. He is keenly aware of the passion within this votary to the goddess of love and fertility, and is fulfilled. The woman and the stranger know that the consummation of the love act is consecrated by the deity through which they are renewed. The ritual itself, due to the presence of the divine, is transforming. The sacred prostitute, now no longer a maiden, is initiated into the fullness of womanhood, the beauty of her body and her sexuality. Her true feminine nature is awakened to life. The divine element of love resides in her. The stranger too is transformed. The qualities of the receptive feminine nature, so opposite from his own, are embedded deep within his soul the image of the sacred prostitute is viable within him he is fully aware of the deep emotions within the sanctuary of his heart he makes no specific claims on the woman herself but carries her image the personification of love and sexual joy into the world his experience of the mysteries of sex and religion opens the door to the potential of ongoing life it accompanies the regeneration of the soul. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. What you just heard was a passage from one of my favorite books called The Sacred Prostitute, Eternal Aspect of the Feminine by Nancy Qualls Corbett. And this archetype, the sacred whore, the sacred prostitute, is very much the subject of today's podcast episode. Or I should say, maybe not the subject, maybe the inspiration for, (laughs) because the conversation's about far more than just the whore. The conversation is with my close friend, Erin Shaw, who was my co-host for a while, uh, when we were both the hosts of a podcast called Horror Rapport. And we talk so much about this podcast and, uh, you know, where we've sort of gone since then and, and what we sort of think about the podcast. Having had the podcast and having moved beyond it, we stopped uh, recording episodes this past fall. And really, we stopped much prior, but there was a long period of confusion and um, a lack of certainty about whether ending the podcast was the right decision or not. And we did record a final episode, uh, but neither one of us felt that it was really comprehensive or conclusive enough (laughs) So, we decided to um, chat again on this podcast to, yeah, just talk about some of our thoughts and really broaden the conversation beyond sexuality, beyond the whore, into identity and, you know, what it means to consider identity as something sacred. So, I'm not going to talk too much about that because we really do go on (laughs) in the conversation itself. But I wanted to redo that little section from The Sacred Prostitute because I feel like this kind of this kind of writing this kind of envisioning this kind of mm, poetry is is the quote appropriate or most sacred way to engage with these archetypes and as you'll hear in the conversation with Erin I feel that this is a big topic for me at the moment my own identity it's something that I've Spoken about on the podcast quite a bit. What is identity? How do we engage with it? Is it something super serious or kind of something light or is it both? Is it inherently paradoxical? These questions still enliven me. And it's been something that's on my mind a lot and I've really been uh, struggling a bit because while I love the podcast and love me some intellectualization and some theory and some philosophy. I'm finding them all rather inadequate at being able to encapsulate what it is I'm trying to say or try to learn. And there's not really a solution there. We still need our minds. We still need theory. We we can still benefit from intellectualizing somehow. But as I try to make my own life and my own world, more holistic, I feel inclined to also bring some more holistic approaches to the podcast as well, as best I can. Um, Yeah, reading with some music, setting the mood, not that these aren't things I don't normally do on the show, (laughs) um, but I'm really kind of starting to honor them more and see them as uh, a guide, perhaps. In other words, maybe allow the podcast to be guided by these spirits instead of trying to talk about the spirits (laughs) on the podcast. Uh, So yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing this conversation. Uh, I feel really great about kind of bringing this podcast conversation uh, to all of you after quite a a long break. Um, There's been so much, so much going on. And I just want to name that for all of us. um, it's something I also mentioned in the conversation with Aaron, but shit's crazy, you know <laughs> um, and I think for so many of us, I've heard this reflected back to me that, like including myself, that I've sort of felt uh victim to this idea that you know we go through these really dark periods in our life, difficult periods, challenging periods, and then we like come out and we can have a break for a while, and I feel like that's not really happening for me, not that I'm. Engaged in the same level of darkness or transformation or like soul altering um periods of time, but certainly it it doesn't really get better. You don't really get breaks. <laughs> um, things just become more integrated and more holistic and these these deaths and these deaths and these disappointments and these periods of grief are just always present and more and more woven into the experience of life and the experience of joy and love. I just one of, you know, the many ideas that I've understood intellectually for so long, but feel like I'm still learning that lesson of integration as an embodied understanding. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of us are in that place. And so I just wanted to, to name that Definitely not alone out there, whoever you are, whoever happens to be listening to me on the other side of this microphone. Uh, so much to talk about. I have been not present on the podcast in some time, um, so it feels like there's so much I haven't brought to this space. I, I have been posting a little bit more regularly on Substack. If you haven't joined me over there, the link is Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S, Dot substack.com. There's lots of stuff going on behind the scenes as far as the community goes. Um, our book club, uh, most notably. And sometimes, like, it's been over a month since I recorded a podcast. And so if you only listen to the podcast but don't follow me anywhere else, you might not be aware of the book club or what we're reading or when we're meeting. Um, so that's something that's always put through Substack. So if I forget on the podcast or I don't record a podcast or I forget on social media, uh, Substack is my priority. It's free to sign up you get access to lots of fun shit, like the book club. Um, But also I post other things there. I um, send out newsletters and writing that I'm working on, poetry. I do recaps of all the books I'm reading each month, some of which we're reading in the book club, some that I'm reading on my own. Uh, Columns of inspiration, all sorts of good stuff. And uh, yeah, I guess the last time I recorded an episode, I was in our rental in Crestone, and we have since moved into our house Crestone that we bought sort of impulsively and are renovating. Our plan initially was to find another rental when the one we had was up uh, and that would be our place to live while we built a house on five acres of land that we have here. Uh, But we stumbled upon this little cabin, this little 750 square foot cabin, basically like a glorified van a two-story van it's quite small but works well for us uh, but we, we came across this cabin that was for sale and even though we had no plans to buy anything after kind of running the numbers and thinking about things we thought that it made more sense to purchase something now rather than pay someone for rent for the next you know however many years it takes us to build so we also needed to do some work on the place though so we were sort of thrown into you know the fun of renovation. (laughs) For those who have done it, they know what I'm talking about. Uh, Nothing goes right. Everything costs more and takes longer than you expect uh, and is just completely overwhelming at times to the point where, you know, you can hardly catch a breath to to cook yourself some food or um, take a shower, (laughs) let alone, you know, organize your desk or even understand where the shit that goes on your desk is to record a podcast. So I've been in that phase uh but finally have the shit out of the boxes and relatively organized. There's still a lot to do. We moved in far before we were done with everything. Um but definitely feeling a little bit more you know in the above ground world, ready to ready to release more podcasts and participate in this Uh, part of my work I feel like everything that I do in life is like both work and pleasure so it's a little bit complex but happy to be returning a bit more to this to this zone and yeah it's good to be back good to be back in this new spot I have a new podcasting spot I haven't had a permanent podcasting spot in years um, so this actually feels quite quite awesome Um, Just a few more housekeeping things. Again, as I mentioned, because I'm not releasing podcasts as regularly, I don't want y'all to miss everything or miss out on opportunities to participate in the community or things that I'm sending out, just not in this format. So uh, substack, .substack anyakots.substack.com is the place to join me there. It is free, but if you have the means to donate, um, that is the only place that I collect money for this project. And this project has now kind of expanded into both the podcast itself, but also the Substack account, where I'm offering more written content um, and the community uh, events, as I mentioned, Um, and also... The domain of actually building a community in real life in Crestone, Colorado. Um, so the podcast has the podcast has sort of, you know, was the initial limb of this project. Uh, but as time has progressed, it has grown other limbs. Um, and although I wish I could just clone myself and give full attention and time to all the different limbs. Uh, now I regret using limbs as a metaphor because this is getting kind of creepy. Um, as much as I wish I could participate in all these different domains with uh, the same amount of presence, I simply can't. So I'm in all these different places, so always good to join me in all those different places um, if you want to be kind of clued into what's what's happening in person, on the podcast, on Substack, etc. One other really exciting announcement that I wanted to be sure to bring to the podcast is that Chris and I are going to be, uh, teaching another sex at dawn retreat with Cameron and Malene Shane, uh, at their spot, their beautiful, beautiful home and compound and retreat space in Whitefish, Montana. Um, and the sex at dawn retreat is, uh, co-hosted by the four of us. So myself, Chris Ryan, who of course wrote sex at dawn and Cameron and Malene Shane who are like mixed movement, um, athletes, uh, mostly, they teach different types of mobility. Uh, they founded something called Budokan and uh, teach mobility for jujitsu ju- uh, and yoga, mixed movement, <laughs> lots of different types of movement. Um, and so, and they're great, and they're friends of ours. And we met them a few years ago and we had the idea to kind of pair their um, embodied practice with our kind of more intellectual. Um, philosophical stuff and merge the two because of course both are needed both are important Um, and when we can really explore an idea or a concept with both our minds and our bodies to me this is the fucking magic and when we can really learn things about ourselves and learn how these stories that we're running in our minds and these narratives that we tell about ourselves are actually influencing the way that we like physically move through the world and engage with ourselves and other people. And of course, the opposite is true as well, right? Um, something Cameron and Malanez say a lot is the way you move is the way you think. What you think is the way you move. Um, and so, when we can pay attention to the way that we're moving through the space, when we can notice how our bodies show up, right? Are we, you know, curled over? Are our eyes not fully open? Is our face not fully engaged? Um, you know, are we cowering? Are we standing with our shoulders back? All of these things are expressions of how we feel about ourselves and. Um, how we really are living and sometimes it's hard to like grab hold of the the theoretical right grab hold of the psychology Um, we work really hard to rationalize that shit away Um, but when we bring ourselves to our bodies it's really hard for uh like our bodies don't lie and our bodies are only telling stories that are true. Um, And so if we can really like hack away at some, I don't like the word hack. If we can really like uh, approach with curiosity, the ways in which our body is moving through the world, um, then we can bring more awareness to how we're thinking and how we're feeling and really allow the two to work with one another. You know, one of the like my own personal big death, dark night of the soul was very much like a final (laughs) plea of my body trying to show me that something was wrong. I got incredibly sick after I got divorced and had really, really severe acne, like to the point where you couldn't even see my, the skin on my face and went from like feeling pretty confident and, um, attractive and, uh, worthy to just totally like destroyed. (laughs) And, uh, I ultimately had to recognize that my body was on my side, even though it felt like I was at war with my body, even though it felt like it was acting against me, it was telling me something so, so important. And it wasn't until I honored that and actually made changes did the change occur. And so this is a, a a truth and an experience that really has just landed for me further and further as the years goes on is the importance of our bodies and the ways that we cannot leave our bodies out of the journey toward growth or evolution or whatever it is that you're working toward. So Chris and I and Cameron and Mullane, we're all sort of bringing our different skill sets together. The, the biggest topic and focus of the retreat is relationships, sexuality, um, it's not a non-monogamy retreat. Um, contrary to popular belief, Sex at Dawn is not really trying to sell anyone a non-monogamy, just simply opening up the option for people to explore different kinds of relationship structures that work for them. So you can come to this retreat regardless of whether or not you're monogamous or non-monogamous or even believe in any of th- these things. Of course, you're welcome to attend if you're curious about them. Um, but we talk about lots of different things, sexual empowerment, embodiment, desires, eroticism, etc. It goes far beyond, beyond relationship structure, but really focuses on like what is the work we need to do for ourselves and with others in order to partake in any kind of a healthy relationship um regardless of the structure so we did this retreat last year it was amazing aside from the fact that chris was uh had covid um during or at least was recovering from covid but his recovery from covid was strangely more intense than the covid itself so he wasn't even testing positive but basically like dying um and so he couldn't be as fully present as the rest of us as he may have liked so we're doing it again because it was so much fun and um We're expanding the number of days as well. So we're adding a day and yeah, there'll be lots of outdoor activities, lots of movement stuff. I'll be teaching dance there. Melane and Cameron will be bringing in some martial arts and mobility practice. We'll be having lots of juicy conversations about sex and shame and yeah, all that good stuff. Um, So it is happening in August, August 20th to 25th. And if you would like to apply, uh, please do so as soon as possible. This, um, gets filled up extremely quickly. I would imagine that enough people have actually already applied, uh, but we need to just look through the applications. But don't let that stop you. Um, lots of things can happen. So if you are really interested in this, um, please go to budokon.com. It's spelled dot ncom uh, forward slash events dash sex dash at dash dawn. Um, or if you just Google Budokon, uh, again, B U D O K O N, and Sexidon, you'll find it. Um, I'll also include a link in the description for this episode. Would love to see you there. It's a ton of fun. I'm so psyched that we're doing it again. Um, I think it's going to be even better, which is hard to believe because the first one was really cool. They have such a beautiful property there and we're doing it earlier in the season too. So it'll be a little less cold than it was last time. Um, And it'll be three days after my birthday. So come celebrate my birthday with me uh, in Montana. Um, Okay. I think that is most of the logistical stuff that I wanted to mention. Um... I want to read you a quote that uh, Chris actually just sent me after listening to the conversation that you're about to hear that I thought really beautifully, eloquently summarized um, so much of what I've been thinking about and so much of what Aaron and I discuss on the podcast. So I will leave you with this James Baldwin quote. Identity would seem to be the garment with which one covers the nakedness of the self. In which case, it is best that the garment be loose, a little like the robes of the desert, through which one's nakedness can always be felt and sometimes discerned. Enjoy this episode, and I will catch you on the other side. This is exciting. (laughs) Indeed it is. (laughs) I am here with Erin, and this is the first time we've recorded... A podcast in a while, I guess the last one was the last or episode, which was last fall, which feels like a long time ago,
1: yeah, yeah, November yeah, it's wild,
0: and yeah, I wanted to have Erin on a millennial's guide to saving the world to for many reasons because I like talking to her and also because I'm going to continue. <laughs> uh, the conversations in some respect that we had on horror that we initially had on this podcast, um, and sort of, yeah, bring them into a new iteration of themselves, the conversations themselves, not really knowing where that's, um, going, but, uh, both of us felt the urge to connect again around the topics of sexuality and desire, very broadly speaking. And, yeah, maybe also provide some, uh, like, insights and reflections um, about how we feel since ending HorrorPore. And, yeah, I I sort of started drafting uh, an article that I was going to post on Substack around our decision to wrap up HorrorPore and never actually posted it. And I'm sort of glad I sat with it a little bit longer. And we can bring some of those thoughts and feelings to this conversation. So welcome, Erin. Thank you. So happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. So I know we sort of each separately had some inspiration to sit down and record a conversation. Uh, partially, again, as I mentioned, just having some reflections and insights since wrapping up Poor Report and maybe providing some more you know thought out and elaborated upon thoughts and feelings about our decision to do that because it was something that a lot of people really appreciated and liked we got immensely good feedback um and probably could have grown it a lot more and chose to stop it so definitely even though we recorded a last episode i feel like we could say a lot more about that so i'm curious what maybe was pressing for you as of late (laughs) Uh, that, you know, inspired you to want to talk about this?
1: Um, yeah, well, I think there are a number of things. And pressing is an interesting word because it kind of feels like this has been an, a slowly evolving process. But, um, yeah, we expressed, I think, both of us some urgency recently or just like a renewed energy around talking about this stuff. Uh, yeah, I... I think the main thing for me is that with the space, it's easy to sort of see how that podcast was, and I guess this is true of everything in life, but that podcast was really like me in a moment in my life and the the themes that we were discussing and the the topics that we were exploring, you know, they felt really relevant and they felt really... It felt really good to talk about them. But I think I personally underestimated how much I was grappling internally with a lot of it. And so there was sort of this like externally, and I know we avoided calling ourselves an expert. That was never how we felt. It's not true. It's also not how we wanted to come across. But at the same time, there was some sort of like definitiveness in what we were saying or like impassioned kind of not certainty, but like, you know, we were, we were making a point. We were making points. Um, and I think, yeah, like I said, in hindsight, it's clear to me how the, the internal and the external were not super aligned there. I was sort of saying things that I believed in and felt like were true but were much messier for me (laughs) internally and personally so yeah so there's there's been some I think reflection there and just a desire to talk about it some more because yeah it is it is still evolving I would say
0: right yes yeah for me too and I I think one of the major takeaways that I had which I may have mentioned in some capacity in our last episode, but an idea that's been with me for a while, actually, but I feel like is is deepening in its mm, complexity and depth. And <laughs> like deepening also in my own like somatic awareness, because I agree. I think just the nature of a podcast in and of itself is that it's extremely intellectual and heady. You know, we're not we're not pairing it with a lot of holistic practice, which doesn't mean that we weren't engaged, you know, in walking the talk or anything like that. But certainly there's a heightened focus on (laughs) the intellectualization of the thing when you're sitting down to talk about it all the time. And I don't know, I think talking is an integral part of like both of our uh, lives and communication is, is big, but it's not everything. And yeah, I think... The major thing that I started to realize was how, you know, even the name of the podcast, like we are calling ourselves whore. We're calling ourselves a thing. And that is basically claiming an identity of some kind. And it's not that I didn't associate with that identity. And it's not that I don't still associate with that identity, but the way in which I feel like I would like to engage in identity has shifted. Mm, That's a good distinction. So, you know, I think I've always, it's a huge point that I've made on this podcast that I think identity is something much more fluid than how we generally understand it. And I think my dad said something on one of the interviews I did with him about that, like identity should be like an outfit that we try on, you know, coming from his kind of theatrical background, like, you know, it's a show, it's a performance and, and you can really wear that, that outfit and like feel identified with it and allow it to like come through you. Um, But tomorrow or the next day, you should be open to the fact that you might want to put on a different outfit. And I think a lot of the unfortunate identitarian focused, like activism and movements that we have right now are, I understand why they exist and I understand and agree with what they're fighting for to some degree. But I think by over identifying as anything, we really limit ourselves from identifying otherwise, but even just um, deepening that identity we're already in. So I think What I started to feel was this level of sort of sacredness and fluidity, I guess, or nuance and playfulness that by going on the podcast and expressing my opinion about this, 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 and this, like the two stopped being aligned with one another.
1: Yeah, exactly feel so similarly. I mean, I think for me it was it was like first of all, I like cannot be understated how fucking weird a time the podcast recording and the like activities of the worlds and also our personal lives like, like the timing of all of that is just nuts. I bring that up to say that like yeah, things were just so much like, there was so much movement happening within me and so much, like, um, growth occurring in lots of directions, you know? Which, of course, happens, like, very non-linearly. Yeah. Um, So to then, yeah, to then sort of come together and talk about these topics in a way that was even, like, succinct. Even the succinctness started to feel kind of off or not quite right because the the relationship to the identity of whore the relationship to my own sexuality in general was just like and my own body even you know like yeah. there were so many factors that just felt like this is a this is more like finger painting or like throwing paint at a canvas than than what's happening you know verbally yeah. between us <laughs> yes yeah. <this> format yeah <laughs>
0: Yes, for sure. We, I mean, ju- and just to give some context to people, I, I had this thought, too, about the timing of, of it all, because on a personal level, I think, you know, just to give you guys the background, Erin and I met for the first time, and I think for both of us felt like we had finally met another woman who we saw eye to eye with um, about all of these topics <laughs> related to like to an immense degree, uh, not just like aligned on a few things, but really felt like we could just ping pong back and forth any idea and felt very similar and aligned about it. And that felt extremely refreshing. And I felt like, you know, and not only had we just met, but I had just come out of this really prolonged extreme dark night of the soul and had sort of found myself in a community for the first time and a community that actually like understood me for the first time. And so I very much felt like I'd landed Like I was done (laughs) with that like period of immense evolution and like, okay, now it's just time to rest and to be who I am with others who are like me and who understand me. And I think that was sort of similar for you. Like you had sort of just worked out some kinks and felt like you had kind of landed in a place. And then I think what we recorded like three or four episodes Um something very extreme happened in your life, which launched you into like another next level dark night of the soul and COVID happened. Yeah. And then a bunch of stuff unfolded in my life too. Maybe not as extreme and dramatically right up front, but like looking back, like in a total other topic of conversation, I was going to say like this, uh, you know, I very much expected that there would still be more growth and evolution in my life, but I think I, over-accentuated like different periods of time. Like, oh, I'm done with that now and it'll be like a while before I have to do that again instead Mm of, you know, uh, a less extreme version of that self, like ongoing self-awareness and growth and evolution is just going to keep going now. Maybe just not in as extreme a way, but it like, it doesn't like stop and then like next season you get back to it necessarily. Uh, So... And so that was super weird, right? Because we both were like, "Here we are, horror report! this is us, and then very soon after yeah. we are like, "Oh shit, wait a second <laughs> um, and I think you know what uh, what became so difficult was that like I felt like we we did take a long break, like you know, uh, and then got back to it, but I feel like we were always kind of trying to like catch up with the past in a way in a way that wasn't yeah. working you know um and kind of letting yeah. letting go of that trajectory or that storyline uh, i felt like yeah it was like we had put up some weird dam because we kind of insisted on talking from this place that kept shifting
1: absolutely yeah there was i mean i think a not so subtle degree for me, at least of wanting to like hold on to this thing with you that we had just started building that felt normal, which is interesting (laughs) that talking to a bunch of strangers about (laughs) sex felt normal, but, but it did. I mean, it truly did. And, and also grounding, you know, like again, you know, the succinctness, the sort of rhythm of what we were doing, the topics that we brought up, it, it, It felt like, okay, these are things that we should talk about and they felt like things we should talk about. But, you know, in hindsight, there's a little bit of, like you said, like holding on to something that was like, like trying to hold on to water almost. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Like there was so much (laughs) movement happening and we're like, no, 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 it's fine. (laughs)
0: Like, right. That. which i feel yeah. like is such i i i mean i'm really grateful to have had the experience because i do think it really showed me and proved to me that trying to you know identify as a fixed thing and then speak from that place over a long period of time i mean it really it really was like trying to hold on to water or to jello or to like <laughs> um yeah and yeah. and to be able to recognize that and not, and stop fighting against it. You know, like we, I don't know how many times we're going to try to grab this water, but like, we're going to keep trying to grab it. Um, And instead just being like, you know what, maybe this isn't the best <laughs> medium uh to explore yeah. this yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um Yeah, I thought it also might be interesting to I mean, I, there might be people who are listening to this who who have no idea what horror porn is, or who never listened to a, a podcast episode. And not to rehash everything, but I'm curious if specifically because I think like we based our entire podcast around this like archetypal concept of horror, and I think that became the reason we also decided to stop the podcast in many ways because of our evolving identification with or feeling about that archetype and and not just our own but also like you know all of the stuff about what the culture feels about it and how people misunderstand it Um, but I'm curious if you could maybe like maybe mark any kind of transition from how you felt and what you thought about that archetype and maybe something different or evolved that you think no,
1: yeah, like you said, we when we started this podcast, there was this feeling of, okay, we can like rest in this identity. Um, we've we've landed in a place, and let's explore it. And how exciting that we get to explore it together. Uh, and it was, but I think from there to now, archetypally, horror. Resonates in my body and rings around and I feel a lot of like reverence for that even just image and like historical precedent um, precedents. But as far as what that means in my life personally, it's I honestly feel like I'm figuring it all out all over again. Thankfully, (laughs) this time, unlike when I was in my 20s, you know, I I know what I don't want in a much clearer way. I know what I'm not. I know what my, you know, sort of like where I'm not willing to give and where I am willing to give in terms of this exploration, uh, which feels really valuable. And I think my relationship with you and with, you know, other people in recent years has certainly like helped me explore that but also just like going through crazy shit and um emerging in a way that feels like i'm a different person than i was one year ago, two years ago and definitely the 3 years ago like that 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 movement is still occurring for me and so it feels Obvious and also important that this identity would also be sort of deconstructed and rebuilt, and yeah, I mean I'm like I said there there are there are things that will always resonate in terms of how I'm oriented,
0: Can you talk about some of them
1: yeah, I mean, I think the service aspect of sexuality, I think the the notion that this the role like how you started this podcast the role of horror has like an innate sacredness and I feel that very deeply when I'm fully embodied or when I'm when I feel and I shouldn't say fully when I feel embodied (laughs) sexually I feel that very deeply and so to me that's just like directional that's like okay, like follow that energy because that feels the most true. What that means structurally, that's where I'm like, I don't fucking know. (laughs) Right. That's where everything feels like it broke. And now I'm just gathering information to rebuild it, Mm -hmm. which is good. Like it's, it's good. I mean, I, I'm happy to be in this place, even though it's fucking complicated. I'm happy to be like rebuilding this particular aspect of myself. So yeah, so I think the connection to the to the thing, to, to, to the archetype and to to whore specifically is energetic, which I know I've said before, but like it feels that part feels louder now because I'm not trying to like put it in a certain box. I'm just like allowing that thing to exist
0: right um, yeah yeah totally yeah i think also the one of the issues that came out of our podcast was i think a very innocent and understandable and even useful intention which was to like legitimize and concretize and structure energy <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. To structure the un- the unstructured. The unstructurable. Yeah. And, and these archetypes and these symbols and these like, you know, uh, symbols of the collective unconscious, the stories of those archetypes f- for sure play out through our bodies and through our lives, right? In the like mm-hmm. material world, without a doubt. But again, because of the specific nature of the podcast, which was talking about a thing, like, (laughs) I'm not really so sure that talking about an archetype or talking about an energy is actually the best way to figure out how to embody it or to allow it to sort of like permeate the material, concrete, tangible world that we live in. And... I think because we talked about it so much and because we had to come up with, you know, I I do think we were immensely committed to nuance, but even just in bringing words to something to, to describe something, that kind of takes the nuance and complexity out of a thing. And I found that, and this wasn't just a result of the podcast. I actually feel like the podcast was like a symptom or expression of this, but there was definitely a lot of like idealization for me around how mm-hmm. I could channel this energy or this archetype into my actual real life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, the the just to kind of expand on the archetype, which is, you know, I would say the sacred prostitute, basically, is <laughs> the best way to talk about it. Uh, and I have this book, which is called The Sacred Prostitute, right next to me, um, by Nancy Qualls Corbett, which I recommend to anyone who wants to learn more but you know before religion uh and patriarchy and capitalism split sexuality and spirituality they were very much merged together and there was there were women who were sacred prostitutes who were seen as holy and you know Uh, men came to them basically to worship the goddess not this individual woman necessarily but you know mother earth and the rituals the sexual rituals that were performed were said to you know affect the harvest and be very integral with like the life and death cycles on earth and that's beautiful and those things like you like rush through me and feel real in ways that I can hardly even explain (laughs) and yet that doesn't exist now. And yeah. while while we can do the best we can to create like new rituals and new contexts and new relationships to explore those energies through, it won't be that. There's too many layers of culture and too many layers of shame. And there, there's no matter how much I wish that weren't the case the reality of the matter that I've had to confront is that even with the best intentions and like the best contexts and it's extremely, extremely difficult to try to embody that archetype in this world in general. And I think my, yeah, I don't know what other word to use aside from idealization. I, I find my own personal idealization both like very advantageous and <laughs> disadvantageous yeah. um, in my life. And in, in this case, I'm glad I was so optimistic about what I could create or help others create. But the fact of the matter is like, um, it was extremely disappointing. And... I started to feel again, like there was this disconnect between what I was finding out in my personal life around this and what, how I was talking about it on the podcast that started to feel really like disparate. Uh, It just makes me think about spaciousness. Like when you literalize
1: something, you like take the air out of the room, basically like there's no more space because it's literal. It's, you know, the difference between spirituality and religion. Like it's the moment that something becomes very clear, either in terms of an image or, you know, even tangibly, um, there's less room to explore it. So I think absolutely that happened in this case. And it's interesting you said that like, discussing archetypes sort of inherently does that a little bit and I think that's true but also you can kind you can have both as long as you're conscious of the fact that like the full exploration of any of this anything that's like spiritual in nature there's some of it that you you just have to like leave room for And it does help, at least in my experience, it does help to sort of be able to identify where you are, um, which I think the talking helps with or the, you know, exploring, communicating can help with. But yeah, it's a fine line, right?
0: Yeah, I agree. And I guess I wanted to also clarify that I think for both of us. Interestingly, like, the reason we stopped the podcast was not because we no longer identified with the archetype of the whore, but uh, but because we actually kind of, I think, started to respect and honor it, her more.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, which I think is, like, maybe confusing. And I, I wanted to bring in something that I heard the other day that I thought was super powerful it was a conversation being had about masculinity and so you know the concepts of identity were coming in in a myriad of ways very similar to what we're talking about now we're not talking about masculinity we're talking about the whore but either way same principles apply when speaking about different ways we you know embody and um, define identity and uh, this woman uh, Genevieve Sophia Dow uh, was talking she's a, a trans woman and transitioned later in life and is sort of seeking to redefine yin and yang uh sort of grew up in Taoism, and now and later in life is really seeking to i think actually before she transitioned even wanted to redefine yin and yang and take them out of these masculine feminine definitions which you know she clarified doesn't necessarily mean they they aren't associated with those things but to help us think about them in more complex ways um which i think is a a very noble thing to do. But she was talking about identity and whatever that is for anybody, whether one identifies as masculine or feminine or neither, non-binary, identifies with the whore, as a whore, whatever. Um, She's very into, like, somatically exploring archetypes and also has a theater company, so there's very much a performative and theatrical and somatic aspect to the way that she does this work, which I really appreciate. And so she likened one's identification with an archetype or with an identity. She offered an alternative way of looking at that. Um, and instead of like, I am a this to say or to feel or to embody the idea of that, I am um, channeling the theatrical spirit of the whore. And that to channel a theatrical spirit or to engage in something theatrically or performatively is inevitably like somatic, right? Like it's a performance. Um, And, and that that performativity does not necessarily mean, or does not mean like she wanted to clarify that, that wasn't like um, superficial, right? It wasn't a costume, but that it was like literally like waking up every day and making an intentional decision to perform the spirit of an archetype, which I just Mm -hmm. thought was like so cool and so refreshing of a way. And I think that I feel this anyway, but to like have it be described like that was so validating. And she mentioned that what she was sort of disappointed by, especially now, in relation to so many of these identitarian movements that overemphasize, and, uh, you know, we're over-identifying with identity, basically, was our point, and that there's a glibness to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And this this danger of just kind of, like, saying you're a thing and thinking that saying you're a thing is, like, automa- equals liberation. And that we don't have to, like, do much more work, right? We can just, like, queer ourselves, and then, like, we're free. And that no matter what identity you choose, whether it's feminine, masculine, you know, any of these things, that we have a responsibility to, like, worship at the altar of whatever that thing is, which I also thought was super powerful and I think really described for me the reason why the podcast no longer felt like the right medium for me to worship at the altar of the whore. It became honestly just like far too personal and sacred. And and not that, like I think talking about things and giving things names and words, like I think language is important. So I'm not saying that that's not a part of it, but I'm not so sure like broadcasting those words over the... (laughs) whatever this is, over the internet, over the radio waves to lots of different people in lots of different contexts who don't necessarily understand. You know, I I said before we started recording, I feel the same about astrology. It's like, astrology is a, a big part of my spiritual practice. But I can't, I cringe so tremendously, or even around like teaching my lunar circle, I found a way to do it in a way that felt good. But To, like, have a podcast where I'm sort of glibly and casually speaking about something that's so important to me and so deep and so complex, they don't align. And, yeah, I think the whore grew in her sacredness in my life. You know, very much as a result, in some ways, of getting things wrong and making stupid assumptions, but also in seeing how like that energy has been and continues to be maybe like the most pressing driving force that like keeps me here, which sounds like a big statement. But I, you know, I I think I said this on Horror Report too, that like, I think my sexuality has like saved me in many ways from relationships from situations from choices in life that like weren't aligned and like kind of like beckoned me to align more with myself so like the whore was sort of like the the leader in some way a light at the end of the tunnel
1: <laughs> yeah i mean like totally a light at the end of the tunnel like meaning in your life i mean that is what keeps us here right yeah yeah, it's occurring to me too. Like this whole tension between giving words to things and experiencing them in the body. Like intellectualization is a way; it's a defense. And if we're defended, then we're not embodied. So, I think um, it's funny. There, like, I felt like. It's easy to see this now, but I remember feeling this so clearly at the time, like, oh, I can go into this podcasting horror rapport space and be like really in my head with these concepts and and therefore understand them better and I wasn't tracking the ways in which that understanding wasn't actually occurring like it wasn't dropping down it wasn't I wasn't feeling it, yep. so even when you and I were you know, bouncing ideas off of each other. Like, Oh yeah. Like, what about that? And what about this? Or like, you know, taking questions from listeners, which sort of pushed us in different directions. I think there was a way in which that was just staying in my head and, um, yeah, like wanting to not only respect, um, who I was and who I wanted to become in terms of, you know, sex and even just like feeling like a fully embodied woman. <laughs> um, there was like massive tension there. And so like to over, to sort of compensate for that, I think I felt like vulnerability can also look like telling strangers intimate details mm-hmm. about my life
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> and it turns out there was more whiplash involved with that than actual like v- vulnerable you know sort of like authentic resonance and again like I remember feeling these tensions but now it's clear now it's clearer what they actually were like what was actually going on
0: yeah Oh, the whiplash. Yeah, that is such a good way of describing it. That was another issue I feel like we kept coming up against was, again, like I I would do this the same. I'm sort of grateful we weren't like experts or sex therapists that could like pull in lots of like research from longitudinal studies or something, because I think that would have made it like even worse as far as intellectualization goes. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I appreciate that for the most part like we were speaking from personal experience and whether it was our stories or like stories of people we knew and reflections on things but there was so many problems with that I think a big one was the feeling of imposter syndrome <laughs> like this is just me and my opinions you know and I know this is helping people yeah. and I think a lot of people share these opinions but like Geez, like, I, this is just so one sided, it feels like. And also the ongoing confusion and ha- the hangover of talking about some yeah. of these things in the way that we were, because yes. no matter how nuanced we tried to be, I would still walk away from something just feeling like, was that the best way to describe this thing? Yeah sure uh and more so with this podcast than my other podcast like there were lots of like can you actually take that out can you get get
2: rid of that like
0: (laughs) that was was just (laughs) too much um yeah so that started also to feel frustrating and like I don't know maybe it's just better to have these conversations with you know people that are in my immediate vicinity that can like I, I can look in the eye and um you know, again, it's not bad to talk about these things, but is this like one way directional communication thing the best for this topic, right? Like podcasting is great, I think, and like transformed my own personal life and my capacity to like recognize that there are people out there like me and who share these ideas and all of that's great. But again, yeah, coming Trying to build a podcast around one's own life and one's own identity, when you really do want to have some discretion and keep things private, became like it was just too difficult. There were too many things to juggle there.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know the the format of the podcast, even though, as you've said, even though we weren't calling ourselves experts, we didn't claim to be experts. There is. Definitiveness, yeah. even just to sitting with a microphone in your hand, saying something that you know You'd will the be released. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: For sure. Yeah. So I think, again, like out of this kind of sense of responsibility and respect, it felt like. And it sucked. I don't know. There was, there was a. I really did feel a little bit like giving up on a thing or being defeated by something. Like one thing that I felt like that we really wanted to do. And I felt this way, not just about Horror Report, but also about a millennials guide was that like, there were words or concept and concepts in both of those podcast titles that I knew would be misunderstood by people. Right. So like telling people I had a podcast called Horror Report would like open people up to all sorts of ideas that maybe were not at all what I was thinking, but, you know, and same with millennial. And and that was intentional, actually, because I think it's really important to reclaim and redefine words instead of, like, rejecting them or running away from them. Having said that, like, I was going to tell this one story because I, I felt like it was, I don't know, I was reminded of it the other day. There was this guy who, who we'd met before who was, I think, raised in, like, Mormonism? I think Mormonism. Or some kind of fundamentalist religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of these mm-hmm. people stumble into our path. Um, and he and his wife were both Mormon, I believe. But then uh, left together. And I'm pretty sure like they got married very young in Mormonism. Like They were the only people that slept with one another. And then had a few kids. Got out. Uh, and then, you know, decided to live this new life, and we're living in the woods, and it was, like, really inspiring, and they were growing and learning and all these things. And then uh, we spent less time with them. It was great. We went back, like, one or two years later, and the guy, the husband, was very clear. We only saw him. We didn't see the whole family this time. We just had a beer with this guy, and he was very clearly, like, in like, going through something, like, extremely manic, and you could just, like, feel it and see it all over his body, like, traumatized, but but insatiably curious and to try to figure things out. And he basically described that, like, he and his wife had not really had a sexual relationship in a really long time, and this was, like, a really big issue, and um, something that he was really, like, trying to work on, work with her on, and I think he even, like, he was going to this men's group, and Anyway, at some point he finds out that she had cheated on him and was sleeping with somebody else. And he, like, looked me right in the eye and he was like, it's just really hard for me to, like, be open to or explore your Horror poor podcast because I can't get around the betrayal and vulgarity of what happened to me which in my mind right in his mind the betrayal and the vulgarity and the promiscuousness equals horror and so here I am having this like glib podcast like oh no you should just understand what I mean when I want to redefine it right and like really not understanding the heavy Weighted (laughs) complexity of not just like what horror means and has meant for other people, but just like sexuality in general. To try to obliterate shame with our little horror report podcast, you know, it was like nice try,
1: obliterate. (laughs) Like, (laughs) oh my god, we tried to nuke shame. You can't do that. That's not how this stuff works.
0: Yeah. very patriarchal of us
1: honestly yeah truly
0: <laughs> yeah so i i th- and that was maybe the most extreme kind of those situations that i had and it was it was profound because it wasn't like he was like fuck you bitch you know like i hate whores like it wasn't it wasn't aggressive or like <laughs> you know it wasn't just like bigoted and silly and, and dismissive and disrespectful It it was genuine like I felt like coming from a place of humility, like, I don't even, like, I can't even wrap my head around sexuality at all, let alone deal with my wife's infidelity and accept this, like, liberated understanding of what horror means. Um, <laughs> And I was like, damn, dude, like, I don't, like, I... I'm like, I'd agree. Like there, I was, I was like, yeah, please don't like listen to my podcast. Like don't feel very to do that. <laughs> so yeah. So I, I think that was the other thing too. Like I started to wonder if, if what we were trying to genuinely do, and I do think it helped people through this. I mean, we got lots of feedback and emails that said that it did help people in this way. But I also wondered like maybe that we were creating somewhat of a, uh, what's that word um an echo chamber <laughs> like for for ourselves and for others who agreed with this but like if the point was to kind of bring others in who had no idea what we were talking about and really open up this idea to a greater swath of the population like was calling our podcast horror Report the best kind of like magnet for that
1: yeah and you and I both have this desire to like challenge and buck the culture. And I think in this case, it was a little bit of, or maybe a lot of bit of confronting something for the sake of confronting it, which can have value. But obviously when you do that, there's collateral. I mean, there's collateral yeah. of all different types. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of a conversation I've been having with um, my friend Tao, who's been on the podcast before. And he talks a lot about sort of like coming from and living from a deconstructionist or reconstruction, reconstructionist like worldview and how we often go into one camp or the other. Right? We like tear something down and say, you know, deconstruct it. And that was a big part of this identity conversation about masculinity that I was listening to as well. Um, because it was really about that, like a lot of, I think a lot of our identity is about like deconstructing identity and not necessarily like rebuilding something. And I think we both of us really did not just want to deconstruct something, but to also rebuild something, except like the thing with rebuilding is that again, it's, it's like it's pan work you do with your hands yeah
1: yeah and if you're really rebuilding something there's an element of like sitting with the chaos or sitting with the the you know the the deconstructed part (laughs) before you can actually see what you're trying to create and and then create it um yeah, and what what you said a, a little while ago about nuance, like I do think we did our best in a lot of ways with that and we did make sure to say <laughs> repeatedly like <laughs> nuance is the name of the game when it comes to relationships and sexuality. Um, but I also think that some of that collateral led us to things like you know, as long as you communicate, everything will be fine. That was definitely an overarching theme. And again, we said, as long as you can be nuanced in your communication and like, understand that things aren't binary and, you know, live in the gray area, then everything will be fine. Um, but even that, you know, in hindsight is far too definitive and, and just like a product of, like we're saying like a product of where we were like this tension between wanting to have a voice and wanting to like make our identity sort of known and understood and and also totally dealing with the internal movement of that and the and the complexity of it and so yeah yeah
0: yeah, it just it strikes me, you know, so much of if you really get into, you know, a lot of the writing and exploration about not just the sacred prostitute or the whore, but even just the feminine. But really, I think this life giving creative aspect of the feminine, right, which is really what the sacred prostitute represents the, um, you know, fertility as not just babies, but as like the fruit of life. Mm -hmm. but a a major half of of that half of creation is death and and grief and I think we were both going through these experiences of like grieving and death (laughs) during the podcast but but again like unless we just came to the mic and like sat in silence for 30 minutes which is maybe what we should have done there wasn't there wasn't any real way to like give Literal voice to what was happening on the other side, right it was all of the like not even the good things, but the th- but yeah, it wasn't the collapse and 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 it was difficult to talk about the collapse because it was difficult to do so and to not bring too much personal stuff to it or to not expose people in our lives right because like all of this is also relational, like there's not a you know, sexuality exists autonomously, obviously, but so much of this stuff involves others. And and not only did we not want to, like, out other people, but also, you know, I think you alluded to this earlier, like, the amount of time it takes to actually, like, understand and process mm-hmm. and be able to even remotely think or talk about, quote, what happened or, like, quote, what you learned I mean yeah like that shit takes years at least for me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I, I get on myself and I think it's probably because I live in this you know hyper productivity oriented culture you know like there's a series I wanted to write about every country that I visited on my trip abroad we got back last fall and like Ma- like, I still don't even feel ready. Like, I still feel like I'm, yeah. things are landing from then. um, And things I write about now are experiences that I had six years ago, right? That like only now are starting to make sense. So yeah, that, it was like, we couldn't, we were trying to be current and present with what was going on, but it became really difficult to do that uh, because things just take time in a very... Yeah, clear way to me now.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think we would have said that then too. I think it's just that the feeling of it now is much different. <laughs> I just like understand it more perhaps somatically than before. But um, it, it's interesting to me that we recorded an episode called like sex and death or something like that. Yes. And then like 2 months later, like everything died.
0: <laughs> uh yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I I sort of ed- admire and appreciate like the attempt to explore and tackle these like huge fucking themes um in a way that was present, you know. It was very like, okay, if we're going to do this, authenticity means like telling the truth, but also like incorporating what's going on right now because there is fluidity to all of this and there is so much, you know, like it is dynamic. Um, But yeah, it's whole process of learning anything is so much fucking slower than I see, I'm running out of words. (laughs) I should stop talking. I should just be quiet now.
0: It just started like also thundering and hailing here, like as we started talking (laughs) about death. So (laughs) you hear that's a good sign in the background. Yeah, it's just Mother Earth showing up in her fullness. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, super tricky. I I actually hadn't thought about that, but we did. We recorded that sex and death episode um, right before. Yeah, the world exploded. Yeah, pretty wild. Did you have any experiences like this with like coming up against misunderstandings around the word whore or like
1: <laughs> in small ways? Yeah. I mean, for me it was much more about the cultural shit, you know, mm-hmm. what this word means in a broad sense. Your experience uh is obviously much deeper and I think perhaps I was engaged with people who felt similarly but that didn't come out it, right. it came out more like why like why that word sort of yeah. more judgy than like <laughs> <laughs> yeah Um, and that and of course that to me was like catnip I was like that's exactly why we're calling it horror porn exactly. because of this silly reaction <laughs> yeah
0: yeah same yeah i think there was just as much like and i actually it's funny because i have this problem with astrology too like as much as there was the kind of i'm offended by that word or i don't understand that word was also the assumption that we did mean something far more vulgar and disrespectful than we did i think the sacred like Part, the pure part of the archetype, which was something that I think we tried to bring forward ad nauseum, like that for us, this idea of whore is not, uh, vulgar or like quote unquote loose or like easy or cheap or superficial or, or any of these things. Right. But of course, like that is a massive gap of knowledge and understanding in the culture. So a lot of the people that were embracing it were like, yeah, let's go like fuck everyone. Um, and I was like, no, actually like, that's not what I, and there were some people i act- like, that I actually thought would know better who I felt like would talk about the horror and like, as if they got this information from our podcast, but that, but it was like wildly misunderstood anyway, mm-hmm. um, or mm-hmm. like desacralized, uh, Mm-hmm. And that was super disheartening. And I know that's totally out of our control. You know, like anybody can pick up anybody's work, or like it's really coming down.
2: <laughs> can I can't hear it? hear it at all. Oh wow, no,
0: it's like so loud. Um, yeah, I think anyone can pick up like anybody's book or piece of work and misunderstand it and use it to you know, like, um, rationalize their stupidity or whatever it is, you know, like read sex at dawn and be like, yeah, I'm going to cheat on my wife. You know, like that isn't what it's about. And I, and to some degree that's totally out of our control, right? Like anyone can take horror porn and think or do whatever they want with it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I felt like, like, is this really the mountain we want to climb? Right. Like how much time is wasted just by sitting here, like defending ourselves and, trying to inject nuance into things. Would it not be better to like fight this fight in a different way? Right. In a more private sacred, I don't know, kind of way. Another thought I had.
1: And also this is the exact, this is the exact tension. Like the word whore is a symbol. It's just a fucking word. And so of course it's gonna like, attract and accumulate a whole bunch of you know meaning and um personal like attribute whatever uh and I think for us uh, well for me it definitely became like not only the mountain I didn't want to climb but also like this isn't even the point like (laughs) yeah this is the (laughs) this is distracting like And again, like that, that was like us trying to put words to something that's really fucking hard to talk about. Um, so yeah, the whole, like what yeah, I, I think the, the, we were always gonna, no matter where we were truly, we were always gonna rub up against that in a way that didn't feel right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I had this thought. I'm going to run this thought by you. Maybe we've talked about this in various ways before, but I've I've been thinking a lot about like feminine archetypes and the ones that we generally talk about. And I think like maybe the three (laughs) that we talk about the most is the maiden Mm -hmm. mother crone thing right? The three together, and there is some kind of, like, linearity to them. Um, you are the maiden, and then the mother, and then the crone. And like, I've been thinking about motherhood, specifically, because I feel like, in my life, I'm kind of, like, in what would be that period, right? Like, no longer a maiden, yeah. I'm not yet a crone. <laughs> um, <laughs> to quote Britney Spears or something like that. Um, uh. Um, And yet I'm pretty clear and certain about the fact that I'm not going to have children, which, you know, I I've talked about a lot that like one can embody and identify with the archetype of the mother without actually birthing children. But I still feel like there's this, which might be totally legitimate and totally fair and totally not something that I even have the right to talk about. But this idea that like, until, an- that birthing a child and being a mother in that way is a critical and crucial and imperative like step um, or phase or identity that all women must go through in order to understand or embody or even just like touch the full capacity of what it means to be a woman right like we often think about this like birth of the child as such Mm -hmm. and and I'm not even ready to disagree with that but I I have been thinking about like are there not alternate paths of womanhood and of like female maturity and going back to this idea of the sacred prostitute so this archetype is also very much associated with, like, the virgins, right? We have, like, the Mary Magdalene, um, (laughs) Mother Mary dichotomy, the Madonna whore thing, which I think is, like, you know, a split that we very much have infused into the culture, not something that's natural. But even still, like, to me, I can see, you know, in the definition of virgin in and of itself is not, one like, a woman who hasn't had sex, but, um, you know, virgin and virginal from the dominant culture from man aka patriarchy Mm -hmm. um and so these women would depending on the time period (laughs) depending on how sex was viewed and integrated into culture at the time if women didn't want to take on the traditional role of motherhood like marriage etc they would go the route of either prostitute or none essentially um but both of them were this kind of decision to opt out and to and very much be in service to something still right so like the worshiping of god essentially um in both cases just in different ways and yeah i i I've been thinking because, like, in my personal life, I've I've felt like, okay, well, if I don't have kids, like, how can I come into contact with and embody and really integrate the archetype of the mother to be a fuller person? And I started to wonder if, like, not that that's not fruitful, (laughs) that I don't identify with that, but was there some of my own internalized, like, shame or guilt around maybe there's an alternate path that the culture or society no longer really accepts in any kind of a legitimate or sacred way.
1: Are you trying to tell me you're about to become a nun? <laughs> is that where yes. this is going? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, knew it. Okay.
0: But yeah, I mean, you are um, now studying to get your PhD in psychology. And I know we've been like bouncing back and forth all these ideas of like the sacred feminine and divine feminine. And I'm curious if you've had any thoughts about that, either intellectually or personally. Or-
1: I mean I think more and more that and I don't know if this is psychology based or just like getting older but I do think more and more and see in in you know like how my the choices my friends are making the friends who choose to become a mother <laughs> literally how that is this threshold um but the threshold feels so and seems and looks so intangible and archetypal mm-hmm. that it's it's not about, you know, bringing a human into the world. And that is so clear when you look at it up close and when you have conversations about it. And there there's this, like, this feeling that, what was before and what what comes after is like a redefining of priorities and like a a new found sense of knowing oneself and self trust and embodiment and I think that particular threshold is a massive one i mean growing and and then birthing human life, obviously like that is that is a a big deal on, on so many levels. But yeah, I think when I was younger, I had this, like, it, it felt like a choice, like, yes, I'm going to have kids or no, I'm not going to have kids. And now it feels like, I mean, obviously there is still that choice, but there's also this sense of how am I going to grow up? Mm. And like, am I going to integrate this sort of transcendent experience that women get to go through and allow that to like teach me things and, and move into the next phase of my life. And I hope the answer there is yes. And I don't know what that looks like if I don't literally have a child, which I, at this point in my life, I'm not intending to, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been thinking a lot about like, what is this thing really? And, and how do I, how do I integrate it and how do I experience it? And, 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 You know, there are so many ways to be a mother and to embody, you know, motherhood, motherness. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think I'm in a grief stage with it right now, honestly, where it just feels really fucking sad. And I don't know exactly what will come of that, but just letting it be.
0: Yeah 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 I, I I'm i not sure if I'm in a grief stage about it but I do think like I feel like I've known for a while and felt pretty certain and confident in the thing for a while um but for whatever reason the the archetypal nature of the thing is definitely showing up not like and pushing me toward being a mother actually but like what you kind of said like what does that mean for me outside of just talking about it and outside of what I've experienced thus far yeah just it's interesting to me that like both the mother and the whore are dealing in the realm of fertility and creativity and and like are these things so different or just different expressions and modes of honoring and expressing something similar yeah, I said something to you recently, I think I shared this with you that I heard that like, that specific threshold of motherhood is this, like boiled down to <laughs> um some sort of idea or concept is the experience of going through one's own intense, like dark night of the soul under underworld journey while simultaneously having to keep this baby alive in the you know above ground world and to engage in that you know what might present as conflict or like something you know paradox um and so that was really interesting um to me as well and even really to think about you know the past year like you know, in my prior dark night of the soul experience, like there, I mean, yes, I was kind of keeping myself alive, but I was very much like in the underworld. Like it was just like, not, I was not highly functioning in the real world, let's say. Um, and I feel like coming out of that and having to function more in the real world, but still engaging in these like ongoing cyclical deaths and waves of grief and loss but having to kind of stay present in my life or stay, you know, like, what is that being a mother? Like, it's like you, you stay worshiping that theatrical spirit, because if you stop, if you disengage from the archetype of the mother, then you're fucked and your baby's kind of fucked. Um, And so like, I was thinking like, how can I engage with this archetype of the whore, the sacred prostitute amidst, the underworld journeys and amidst the grief and amidst the loss right because like that is not um those things don't run counter to it like they support it that's part of the point you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's something interesting to me that would i don't know I'm i'm interested to see where that goes in my own exploration
1: me too <laughs> And also, it occurs to me that to in order to emerge from the underworld, you need some sort of tether, light, friend.
2: Mm, you know, guide. you need an in,
1: guide. Yes, you need an invitation to, or or something to come out of it. So I wonder. I mean, a, a baby, an infant, <laughs> it's a very tangible representation of that. Um, which I imagine has its own severe sort of complicated tension involved, but that is a very fascinating way of sort of objectively thinking about this
0: threshold. Right. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that feels pressing or that you wanted to express or share?
1: this conversation there's one thing we said and again i don't i'm not trying to nitpick on past us but i just think it's interesting that we did this we said in i think an episode about like fear and sex or like emotion emotional i don't remember what it was exactly um we came up with this like and obviously we were being kind of tongue in cheek, but we came up with this like equation for vulnerability. Um, or or intimacy, I think it was, that was fear plus risk plus vulnerability equals authentic intimacy. And I think what's missing from that uh and also we could we could we could analyze why we felt the need to like put that in into an equation but maybe that's a different conversation. Well,
0: it was built um, off that other equation, right? Like someone else's equation is fear or like risk plus attraction equals desire. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But I I take issue with the premise <laughs> in of equations
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah why did yeah. we buy into that? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Okay, go on, go. But on. I just think I just think what's missing from that is, like, compassion and, like, for the self and for the other because there that's part of the spaciousness, I think, for me is, like, understanding, obviously, that, like, a- any sort of relationship to one's identity or, like, growth within that or exploration of it, yeah, you need fear, you need risk, you need all those things. You also need... <laughs> like the space to feel kind of held in that and obviously that can come from within as well as from our relationships with other people but yeah looking back over some of the stuff i i just felt like there was there was there was a lot of the like individualist like if we just get in touch with our vulnerability everything will be fine <laughs>
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like a rule book of some kind, which I think we often would say doesn't exist, and while simultaneously like building our own. (laughs) exactly (laughs) which of course yeah which makes sense uh, I mean that's what like we're human and like again the deconstruction and reconstruction like we do need both but then just to keep in mind that within that reconstruction will be yet another deconstruction
1: exactly so yeah we can meet again in five more months to deconstruct and reconstruct this
0: (laughs) conversation okay good (laughs) yeah um yeah I I definitely agree with all of that. And and I think one thing that came up for me that what you're saying reminded me of um that came up for me in multiple ways throughout the podcast which I still like I don't even have enough definitive opinion about this, but I think there is this X factor thing that can't be defined in the realm of like compat like sexual compatibility or love or right like all these boxes of things Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and i think there's this x factor which works in a couple of different ways i think it provokes us to maybe feel certain like fantasy projection things about someone that might have the same qualities as someone else but there's just something about that person or that context or that situation that like lights that shit up with us
1: complexes are we about to talk about complexes?
0: (laughs) and like No amount of being like, oh no, I'm not supposed to be with that person. And like, I can see how I'm not compatible with that person. No amount of that rational thought takes the feeling of the, the like immense gut, you know, centered desire away. And this idea that like, you know, we can kind of help who we quote fall in love with. I think we can help what we do when we feel that feeling of like, I'm falling into this, but I don't think we can help it happening. Like, you know, like it's the feeling's going to happen no matter what. And I think the more we try to tell ourselves we have control over that, the more we're in denial of the fact that we don't. And that ultimately, like, that's not practical, because if you want to approach those situations with intention and honesty, you really have to like, confront your own (laughs) capacity to like fall for someone or to project ridiculous things onto them. And then on the other side, there's also the X factor. I feel like where two people could exhibit exactly the same, like behavioral traits or ideas or opinions, but like it works, a relationship works with them for whatever reason, in a way that it doesn't with the other person. Mm -hmm. And there's no equation it's not like it's working because we're vulnerable or because we're authentic or because there's risk. I mean, all those things could be present, but I do think there is a a drop of like magic here. There's a drop of or two or three or one million of like the unknown, intangible, whatever the fuck is going on, which I'm not really interested in defining or dissecting, you know, like that's the I point. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's there. And uh, I think this is really crucial in order to not really like (laughs) what metaphor am I using? Like to not drive ourselves crazy. Like, well, if I only communicated or if he only communicated or, you know, if we only involve some risk then it would be fine like it might just be that like this is not the path and this is not the person and no matter how much psychologizing and intellectualizing and defining and writing intention or whatever like it's just not going to work yep and maybe it almost makes sense why later so yeah I wanted to name that too that there is a massive degree to which like engaging in intentional especially unconventional relationships require logic and reason and rationality you know to not just get totally lost in the disnified version of whatever <laughs> is but at the same time like we are human and we do have projections we all have them and we're all gonna act from them at certain points in time yeah and so I think m- honoring and uh, just accepting that as true feels a lot better than pretending I have, you know, god-like control over <laughs> every projection or fantasy that will ever appear, you know, yeah. in my mind.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think that allows, that creates space and allows for the possibility that the projection, I mean... The projection, as we've said, and you talk about that in our gold book all the time, um, can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. It can be ultimately a fucking neutral thing. Um, And certainly no amount of, you know, processing or naming or intellectualizing that is going to completely reveal why it's there or why it's happening in the moment. Yeah, and then there's also the whole, like, anxiety and excitement being opposite ends of the same spectrum. I think those things in the body, when we're, you know, in these sort of heightened states, it can be really f- fucking confusing which one is which. And, again, oh just God. time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Time and Yeah. openness. <clears throat> there's a...
0: You know, yeah, there's like a manic anxiety that feels like a rival.
1: Yes, a yes.
0: You know, that feels like the top of the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That I've learned is like, actually just like the tip top of the roller coaster before you fall. Um, <laughs> it's so fucking it's true. like, yeah, you're at but- the top of the world, bitch. But like, you're about to drop <laughs> so hard. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and to kind of and to recognize that right, and like I feel like i got I think I got relatively good at recognizing that in in a very kind of like specific context of intimate relating, especially at first, right I'm like, okay, I'm like newly around this person, and I recognize that this is prime uh environment for projection and fantasy, so like let me get really clear on that and I think that worked for me but I didn't I forgot to like apply that same logic to other contexts yes <clears throat> which is this other thing I wanted to say like that maybe we have said before but that deserves to be repeated that like longing for relationship or for love in a romantic monogamous context mm-hmm. doesn't like does not just exist there and is just as strong toward professional success, toward community building. Like there is a drunken yearning to like build this like open, loving, free community thing in my life. Um, And I failed to realize how much projected fantasy I was bringing into that because it didn't fit the model that I was used to the fantasy and the projection being in
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. um so i just wanted to like name that and you know and, th- and that might most uh traditionally show up in some kind of like new relationship energy if you're like polyamorous or open or something um but it's not just that right it's like for most of us this idea of sexuality or like unconventional relating is much more holistic than just you know, the sex or the romance. It's about building a life alongside others. And to do that, to like retribalize to me is just as sacred of, and just as difficult and just maybe as impossible of a thing as it is to like worship at the altar of the whore and to embody the whore archetype in our lives. Right? Like we're trying to do these, maybe what feel like and are natural fundamental, true, authentic parts of us, but in these wildly hostile contexts in both a sort of personal and collective sense, and to just be a lot more humble to how difficult that really is. And we can't just like say it or desire it and like manifest it the next day. There's going to be a lot of, um, failures and death along the way well
1: yeah that's the thing i mean if you know with everything that's new there's death and potentially grief and i think a lot of this sort of inflated like emotional expression or um inflated even way of interacting with People or ideas is about avoiding grief and avoiding the sadness. And yet, like it works for a while, but ultimately <laughs> it stops working. And that roller coaster fucking falls many feet, and you feel like you're going to throw up yeah. <laughs> or whatever.
0: And maybe you do, and maybe you, and then you do feel way better after <laughs> yeah, after. okay, it's a cycle,
1: guys, okay,
0: <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just really need to puke, it really is the solution, that's true,
1: yeah <laughs> <clears throat> um,
0: well, yeah, as per usual, I'm sure we could go on, but I feel like this was a good kind of representation and um, yeah, space and time for us to explore, great, this ongoing topic and thing in our lives
1: yes thank you for having me on this millennial's
0: guide do you want to like give everyone an update on what you're doing in your life
1: uh i am in a clinical psychology phd program and i'm living somewhere new which is santa barbara and i'm so busy i don't even know how the days go by i don't even know what busy means anymore (laughs) actually either but that's okay (laughs) it's great i'm in love with it maybe i should examine (laughs) (laughs) that.
0: yeah that was great well cool um looking forward to continuing This dialogue but also not dialoguing about it because that is the whole point of what we're saying basically
1: yeah looking forward to not talking about this (laughs) in the future
0: (laughs) hope you guys enjoyed this because it's not happening anymore uh no 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 um it might occasionally but yeah i'm i'm looking forward to having (laughs) Erin back on and talking about lots of different things especially as her program progresses and yeah it'll be interesting to continue to drop in here occasionally to see what's there definitely would love to yes till next time hello everybody thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation i hope you found it fruitful if you have any thoughts or questions or just anything that you'd like to share you can actually comment and share your thoughts on every podcast that i release through substack when you sign up for Substack, you also get access to information about our book club. You can join that um, and get access to lots of free bonus content that I send out. Totally free. You can donate if you have the means, but otherwise it's free. Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A dot Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. And if you want information specifically about the book club and how to sign up for that, you can do it um, again anya dot Substack dot com then forward slash book dash club. So if you sign up for just Substack, you won't actually get access to the book club emails. Um, I send a bunch of those, so I want to make sure that they're opt-in only. Um, So that post on yakats.substack.com slash book club, book dash club, will tell you exactly how to sign up for the book club emails. We just finished a book called Open to Desire, The Truth About What the Buddha Taught by Mark Epstein. Uh, Mark was a guest on the show a couple years ago. We talked about another one of his books called The Trauma of Everyday Life. Uh, And this past month we read Open to Desire. I've picked all the book club, all the books for the next six months um, uh, based on astrological themes. So it just so happened that this new iteration of the book club was aligning with the new astrological new year, starting with Aries. So we read a book about desire Uh, this month. Now we're in Taurus season. So we're going to be reading um, Matter and Desire by Andreas Weber. Uh, so that's really exciting. And we just started. So lots and lots of time to join. Um, again, if you would like to participate anyacatssubstackcom forward slash book dash club, we'll give you all the deets. Um, what else? Uh, there, The course that I mentioned, I, I spoke a lot about this uh, talk. Uh, with Genevieve Sophia Dow in the conversation. This was a course called Restoring Masculinity that featured this conversation. Um, It was offered through advaya.org. They offer lots of really amazing courses that kind of focus in ecology, spirituality, mythology. It's kind of like live podcast series, essentially. Um, So there's a host and a topic. And they invite people in. So this was uh, hosted—the one that I participated in and spoke about—was hosted by Ian Mackenzie. Um, and I don't believe it's uh, the course; it was live, and I don't believe it's offered as a recording quite yet. Um, but I do know that Advaya is opening up a membership platform and does offer uh, courses that were previously offered live as a kind of pre-packaged option. So, uh, yeah, I will include links to Advaya. They have lots of stuff. They actually have a course that you can buy. Uh, taught by Andreas Weber, who's the author of the book that we're going to read for this month's book club. So lots of cool stuff there. I'm going to play you out with a song called You Are What You Can't by Natalie Tate. Uh, it was funny, I was teaching a Contact Beyond Contact dance class here in Crestone, and um, someone who uh, attends said that some of my music reminded me of Natalie Tate and asked if I'd ever heard of any of it, and I really hadn't. Um, but the song really This song really spoke to me and spoke to, I think, a lot of what I've been experiencing recently regarding like just disappointment around how things have worked out relationally and communally. Um, I think it's been a rough go for so many of us. And at first I kind of heard this song and it felt very much kind of like a yeah, like, Revenge Fuck You song. Um, but then I kind of re-listened to it after Aaron and my conversation and and sort of heard a lot of my own uh, errors and idealizations in it as well. So I, I figured I'd pick that to play you out with. Um, this is You Are What You Can't by Natalie Tate. Please enjoy. Uh, please enjoy the rest of your day or your sleep uh, or your month or your week, however you... Um, most like to see time and wherever you are in the world. Uh great to be back in front of this microphone and looking forward to bringing you more episodes soon. Sending you all love. <laughs>